Well, our team of elders provides spiritual oversight for our mountain vision and mission. And we have a great relationship, at least I thought we did until a while back when they showed up at a retreat with that great big obnoxious cardboard cutout of my face with the mouth cut out so they could use it as a beanbag toss. Like, like I was some kind of clown at a mini golf thing, right? Except my face, right? And they had a lot of fun at my expense. And I gotta be honest, I got a little concerned that they took so much enjoyment at throwing those bags harder and harder as we went, trying to get those beanbags to fly straight into my mouth. Well, let me tell you something. My biggest problem in life is really not with stuff flying into my mouth. It is rather what flies out of my mouth that is much more a reason for concern. Anybody with me on this? Anybody have one of those big old mouths like I do? Except it's not bean bags that are flying in there, it's your foot that goes in there. And uh, anybody ever said anything you really regret? Hurtful, discouraging, damaging words? Or do you sometimes wonder if the cat's got your tongue because you don't say some of the things that maybe need to be said? Hello everybody, um, especially hello to all of our friends at all the campuses and everybody joining us online. This is week five of a series that we're calling Making Life Work. It's all about like finding this path, choosing deliberately a path that God has laid out for us. It's called wisdom and it, it amounts to trusting that God knows what he's talking about and a lot of it is, is based right out of the book of Proverbs. And uh, we've talked about so many important things already, how to choose friends, how to be a friend, wisdom about sexual desire and temptation and all kinds of things. Today, we're talking about wisely wielding the power of words. And I, and I doubt I'm the only one who needs some help with what flies out of their mouth and what doesn't. And our wisdom book of Proverbs has lots of words about words, so to speak, and is so bold as to tell us that how we manage our mouth is actually one of the indispensable keys to making life work. In fact, it says, you know, if we don't get this figured out, it's, it's not a shame to just say you'll be a fool. We gotta learn when to shut the pie hole and when to open the flap and say what needs to be said. In fact, in the New Testament kind of version of Proverbs, which is the book of James, it, it says that managing our speech is a way to get our whole self under control. He says the tongue is this tiny little thing, but don't let its size fool you. It has really direction and power over the whole condition of your spiritual life and your, your whole life. It has power over the life of others. Tiny little flap inside of our mouths. If you ignore it, um, it'll, it, it'll go just run ruin and you have to master it. You have to mind your mouth. So the control of the tongue the Bible teaches over and over again, is really the, the key factor in controlling, believe it or not, our whole lives. So what the Bible tells us over and over again is the influence that words have. And we've seen it, right? You can build up a child until that kid thinks, I can do anything. Or words can tear them down until they feel like I'm a failure, even though they're not. A husband can help his wife feel like she's a queen and is able to soar like an eagle, or he can crush her in his hand like a sparrow all with words. A boss can make you want to be creative and work hard and have a blast doing it in a team effort and like you're valued and you matter. Or she can make you feel like an idiot and never make you want to open your mouth again. It, all with words. And so this, this is the word picture that um, 
the book of James actually brings in here. He says, you know, our tongue is like a bit in the mouth of a horse, right? It looks like this small little thing, but the entire direction of that big honking beast is controlled by that one little bit inside of the mouth. In the next verse, he says, it's also like a small rudder on a ship. You got this big old ship, right? And uh, it's cruising along and uh, it can turn to the right all of a sudden, 45 degrees or whatever. How'd that happen? Well, it's just a tiny little flap of wood out the backside of the ship. It's called the rudder. And the direction of the entire craft is dictated by whatever the rudder does. That's how words function. They seem small, they seem out of sight, but they influence the direction of a person's life, the direction of a relationship, of a marriage. They can help someone get on course. They can take someone off course. It's like a master switch. And if you can win the battle of the tongue, boy, you can win the battle. So today is all about um, mastering our words and being wise about it because that's how you got to make life work. Today's for anyone who's ever wanted to pray that prayer out of Psalm 141. Lord, take control of what I say. Put a guard over my mouth and keep watch over the door, the flap of my lips. So where do we begin? Well, if you want to be wise and make life work, you got to realize that words have incredible power. Power. Proverbs 12 says it this way. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So this is talking about particularly the negative side of the power of words. Words can, it says, pierce like swords. They, they, they go in deep sometimes, don't they? they? They can cut right down to the heart and soul. We even use that phrase, it was a cutting remark, meaning a hurtful word. And when you speak it, you can never make things as if you, you hadn't uttered those words. It's like a wound from a sword. It can kill, and even if the wound heals, your body will never be the same as if the sword never cut you. The, the scar always remains. So it's a reminder for us to think about the times when we're just reckless with our words and we excuse ourselves. They just made me so mad or they were acting so stupid. It wasn't my fault. I had a bad day. The Bible says, no, that's just foolish. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's going to create a situation where people begin to not trust you, not like you, not want to work with you. It damages your own reputation. It's foolish to have reckless words like that because you're walking around with a smile on your face one minute, but a sword in the back of someone the next. So words can be like a cutting sword, but it does say it, they can also be words of healing. How about this proverb? Chapter 18, verse 21. It says it most plainly, the tongue has the power of life and death. Now, we've seen examples where words can literally kill. They've been triggers to murders and wars and family feuds and all that, but they can, they can kill in other ways. I can, I can tell you as a pastor what you probably already know. I've met so many people in my years who tell me how words, often spoken long ago, when we were children, killed something in them. They heard a teacher call them stupid or an uncle was just teasing them and they called them fat and ugly or whatever. Or a parent said, you're lazy or you're going to be a whore like your old lady. And those things just consume us for years. They don't just go away. And so many people have spent so much time and energy trying to break free from the self-doubt and the loathing that was planted in them by 
harsh words that are like toxic chemicals. Once they get into the ground system, they pollute everything. We can all remember some toxic words like that, can't you? If we pause, I mean, it's painful to do, but it's probably good to think for a minute about that teacher, parent, coach, a boss, maybe even a stranger said some words. Once they're spoken, they can never be put back in like toothpaste in a toothpaste tube. And we can hear them replaying over and again in our mind. What a lazy bum you are. You're a failure. You're never going to amount to anything. Words like that, um, it, it can really affect you. I'm done. I don't love you. I want a divorce. Words can be used to slander. Words can be used to damage people and careers. Words that are dishonest, raging, profane, four-letter words sometimes just bring an ugliness into a situation and they're toxic. And, and yet it's our same tongue that can sing praise to God. They have the power of life and death. You know, sticks and stones can only break our bones, but words can be soul-destroying. Have you seen examples of this? I, mean, I think you probably have. The toxic power of rash words in your life or someone else's life. Proverbs 16, verse 27, says this. A scoundrel creates trouble. Their words are a destructive blaze. Again, a negative example of the power of words likens it to a scorching fire. Long before the internet you know, was around, the Bible's reminding us that words can go viral like a tinderbox in a, in a dry forest that just sets the whole thing in thousands of acres just like that. And reputations can go up in smoke just like that. The verse that um, is spoken in the book of James uh, likens it to a forest fire as well, probably taken from this very proverb to remind us that when words are harsh and destructive and reckless, it does untold damage to souls and relationships and marriages and kids and families. They're spoken today, but they contaminate the future. But, you know, the good news, of course, is that we have this power in our words, but they don't have to be foolish and reckless and harsh and damaging. They can be positive and uplifting and good and encouraging. So here's my advice for you today. Here's today's takeaway. Give a eulogy every day. <laughs> Let's talk about good words. The prefix U, E-U, means good, okay? And the last part of that word, logos, you probably recognize, means word. So you put them together and what do you get? You get the word eulogy, which simply means good words. My friends, eulogies aren't just for funerals. They're just good words that should be spoken over people every day to bless someone, to be kind, to lift them up, to encourage them every day. You know, we even have an expression, don't we? When, when, when someone's going through a really rough time, they're struggling, they got a ton of work or they're depressed or something and they're just, you know, what do we say? How are you doing? They say, I'm dying. And people really, really, in some ways, we feel like that, like we're dying a little. Every day, there's the person who's dying who, who maybe most needs the eulogy, good words from you because they feel like they're dying in a pile. They're all alone. They're discouraged, heartbroken or sad. You know, we, we've heard that phrase, be kind to everyone you meet today for they're fighting a great battle. Well, we could just alter that and say, listen, my friends, listen, speak good words to everyone you meet today. Find a way to squeeze in a little eulogy for they're dying a little. We all are. 
If you want life to work, give a eulogy to somebody every day. Scripture teaches that the incredible power of negative words are real, but so are the positive words. Proverbs 16 says it this way, Kind and grace-filled words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healing to the body. I love that. Like honey, sweet to the soul. I was a wrestler in high school, and uh, we were always struggling to make weight, and we didn't want to eat a lot of heavy food, so things that would weigh us down. So what do we do for an energy pickup and a boost? What do we do? We carry a little bottle of honey, and we would squeeze that honey in my mouth. It would give me an energy. I feel like Popeye with this spinach. You know, it was before Red Bull, right? We had to use honey. That's what this verse is talking about, and it says good words are just that pickup that we need sometimes. You know, it's what God does for us. You know, He... He declares us good and He encourages us. In fact, it says He's the lifter of our head when we're downcast and discouraged. He's the lifter of my head. And it said you can be like that for someone, God-like, with power in your words to, to lift the head. This is what happened to Jonathan in the Old Testament. He was in the middle of a big, heavy battle with the Philistines. He's exhausted. He's discouraged and tired. He's about to faint with hunger because they haven't eaten. And he finds a bunch of honey. He dips it with his stick and he licks it off of there. And the Bible says his eyes were brightened, a way of saying his whole soul and body came to life. Have you seen powerful words, good eulogy words work like that? I have. Where uplifting, grace-filled, God-prompted words are like a, a beautiful gift to someone and like magic elixir for the soul. Their eyes brighten. Someone around you every single day needs that shot of honey that you maybe are the one that God is sending to give. And our, our response is like, you know, I'm too busy or too self-absorbed to notice these opportunities. Uh, I'm too afraid. What if they think I'm crazy or whatever? Just We just need to pray, God, will you just clear my vision and anoint my lips so that my words can be received like something sweet to the soul of someone else. Who he supposes around you who needs a shot of honey, who needs an encouraging word, a eulogy from you? Man, we just need this power unleashed for good, don't we? We've got so much toxic words flying all over the place on the news and social media, talk radio and politics. It's just, it's harsh, it's ugly, it's cruel. You know, is it any wonder with all of the power of words and so many of them being negative that we're just living through the most significant mental health crisis we've ever seen? Anxiety and depression and burdens are weighing us down because of the power of all those words. I love the way Proverbs 12 verse 25 says it. Anxiety comes to us as a result of that and it weighs down the heart, but we can fight back with what? A kind word cheers us up. That's the power. And Paul in the New Testament says, when Christ comes into your life and you have the Holy Spirit living in you as a follower of Jesus, he says, don't use foul or abusive language anymore. He says, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words may be an encouragement to those who hear them. You know what the hardest part of that verse is for me? It's the word everything. Because I'm capable of encouraging my wife with good words, a little eulogy here and there. But I'm also capable of turning around and then being really, really critical of her or ungrateful. 
I can lift up a colleague and then other times I can make a comment that just leaves them feeling kind of deflated. And Paul is saying here, he's saying, you know what? Let everything you say be good and helpful. Everything falling into the building up rather than the tearing down category. Wow, that's a tall order. So we're going to need some help. Let's go back to Proverbs and dig out some of the ways that you can be good at giving a eulogy to the people around you, to speak really good words. You know, one of the chapters you'll want to look at is Proverbs chapter 15. There's so much just in that one chapter about good words. Let's start with verse 1. It says this. We're going to get some clues to how to, how to speak well and build up. Here's the first thing it says. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle answer, we've seen this, it deflects anger instead of the harsh words that makes tempers flare even more. Have you seen that example of the power of a gentle word like that? The Bible says, you know, we've got to speak words that are true. That's saying that's what we say. It's saying we got to be kind. That's why we say it. It's being to our motives. But it's here talking about speaking gentle words, which is how we say it. How we say things is very often as important as what we say or why we say it. It's the demeanor and the tone. Be gentle. Now that doesn't mean we're always going to agree with someone or just nod our head and smile, but it does mean we're always going to be respectful and friendly. It's the old, we can gently disagree without being disagreeable. Can you imagine how much different the world would be if people understood this wisdom? That we're called to speak gently, even in the middle of a confrontation, especially in the middle of a disagreement. Because that's when we're called to speak gently rather than fire back with some harsh words. How about you? Do you struggle a little bit to come up with gentle words when your blood pressure is getting elevated and the confrontation is escalating and words just want to whoosh out of your mouth? I think we all kind of do. We can we can just so quickly come to those kinds of harsh words. Romans 12 says, when someone really comes at you, just bless them back. Instead of cussing them and cursing back at them, just bless them because it will de-escalate and disarm the argument. You think about what happens when you're in an argument and you remain calm and you respond gently instead of coming out blazing. That person, they may not be persuaded by your argument, but they're going to probably be more likely to stay calm and refrain from blasting you and everybody else. And at least they're going to know, you know, this person is, this person cares. But if you let it fly, you lose all that. One of the real markers of someone who's young and foolish and someone who's mature, on the other hand, and growing in godly wisdom is when a person begins to understand that, ironically, gentle speech is ultimately more persuasive and then strong, in-your-face, bold, take-that kind of argument. Tim Keller says it this way, Harsh words play well with people who already agree with you, but they won't persuade or help the truth to spread. So bring gentle words. Because after all, we follow the one of whom Peter said, when they hurled insults at him, he didn't even retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And you can do the same thing. Jesus didn't fire back. He said, I'm going to let the Father take care of it. You can do the same thing because he understood what was wise, and that is that a gentle answer turns away wrath. How you doing on that? In the middle of a heated moment, 
Do you, are you more likely to throw out harsh words and pour gas on the fire? Or are you growing in wisdom and learning to bring a gentle answer so you can turn wrath away, de-escalate? Do you tend to infuse the fire or defuse and disarm the conflict? One other thing to remind us about, I know some people, and I'm, I look at one in the morning uh, when I look in the mirror, who's pretty good at this at work most of the time but then it's like out of all of his gentle words when he gets home sometime. Use up all my gentle answers at work and have flaming arrows left. Anybody like that? Proverbs encourages us that this all really, really matters. So um, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Now, we've talked about you know, what, what we say and how we say it, but Proverbs also if you want to be good at giving good words, reminds us that we need to uh, pay attention to when we speak. Some of the Proverbs like chapter 12, 15, and 25 say, the wise don't make a show of their knowledge, but a fool, they just blurt out whatever they want to say in foolishness. Or everyone enjoys a fitting reply. I love this phrase. It's wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. Isn't that true? And then it says this, timely words are lovely. Like, a, like golden apples in a silver basket. Timing is everything. Sometimes the best thing we can do, it says in this first verse, is, is not to speak at all. Just like silence is golden, but duct tape is silver, <laughs> right? Sometimes the best thing is put duct tape over your yapper hole. But, but if you do speak, timing's important. So when someone is just in the middle of blunt trauma, we don't have to say much, just presence, just be with them. Or if something should really be said privately, you don't say it publicly. Timing, timing is so important. And when you come through with the right, encouraging, positive word at just the moment when someone most needs it, it's like, well, it says it's like golden apples, which basically may not sound so cool to us, but it's like imagine the coolest care package arriving on your doorstep and you open it and it's so thoughtful. It's got this card and all these gifts that you love, this cool thing you're going to put in your home and you're just like, wow, they can't believe they thought of me. That's what he's trying to say. It's like the coolest thing in the world when you receive uplifting words, like a gift basket, except it didn't cost anybody 50 bucks, just good words. You know, my dad's funeral was early June. So when Father's Day rolled around just a couple weeks after that, there were some friends who thought, hmm, you know what? I bet this could be a difficult day for Ben. Now might be the right time to send a note of encouragement to him. And they did. And it was like, I don't know, a bunch of golden apples, I guess. Who do you need to kind of pay attention to? Timely words mean we're listening and paying attention to other people. So who do you need to send a gift basket of golden apples of encouragement to? For whom is it just the right time right now? So words have power. Words have power. Spoken words have power. Friends, listen. Unspoken words have power as well. Hebrews 3 kind of sums up the positive power of words. And it's speaking of how important it is to remain faithful. Like it's hard sometimes to stay with God. And so the writer is trying to encourage amidst all the challenges of life to say you can do it. And he says in chapter three, if we keep our courage, we can and remain confident in our hope in Christ, we can do it. In other words, he's saying the whole faith, the mission of the church itself, our hope in Christ is all riding on what? On us keeping our courage, staying strong. In other words, the opposite of courage is what? Well, 
like fear and weakness and timidity and us saying, I can't, I'm sad, I'm tired, I'm scared, I'm dumb, I, I don't want to. And the opposite is when you have courage, when you're built up, when you're edified, when you're strong, when you're confident in your hope. And what does the writer say is the strategy that everything rides on? How do we keep our courage up, which in turn keeps our faith up, which in turn keeps the church built up? He says, you all got to encourage one another. Hebrews 3, encourage one another daily, like every day. That word encourage literally means to put courage back into someone. Courage gets sucked out of us and we get beat down, we get tired, we get discouraged, don't we? We get discouraged, we get decouraged, we get courage neutered. <laughs> so encourage is putting the courage back in someone. Who needs some strength right now? Some courage put into them so they can live their faith and stand firm and keep going. Friend, your words have that kind of power. We just did an exercise with a group of mountain friends recently. Um, we've been meeting together every week, um, most of the weeks at our home. And we took some time around the campfire in my backyard and we did a simple affirmation circle just to live out this scripture, a way of trying to be wise and living our lives to support each other. So we, we just spoke eulogies over each other, words of affirmation. It was real simple. We just like said, who's gonna go first? And we sat them in a chair and people just said, I really appreciate about that, that about you. I admire that in you. You know, something I see in you that's good. And we challenged also, when you receive words of challenge from those that you trust and you know they love you, well, you can receive that. And Proverbs talks about that too, but we don't have time to go into that. That night it was powerful. Lots of hugs and tears. And it fed a deep hunger we all have to fulfill this scriptural command. And to be like God who, who speaks words of blessing into us all the time and has blessed us in Christ. And then we wrote on cards. We handed them out. Trust me, I've read those cards more than once. And you could do that. You could have a simple time of affirmation with your, with your spouse. Write their eulogy. Something I appreciate about you. Something I admire about you. Do it with your kids. Or as Paul says, I thank God for you. And then just fill in the blank and Share that with someone at work. It'll blow them away. My son wrote me a letter for Father's Day. It was a eulogy, a bunch of good words. No, I promise you, no dad feels like a great dad, at least not most days, and certainly not all the time. But after that letter, I was ready to take a hill. Why? Because he had put courage back in me. Who needs a letter? Who needs a, a letter like apples of gold from you? Because, friends, our words have power power of life and death. Use your words well to build up and to give life. Now, I want to get super specific because we've talked about how words can lend so much difference to someone. They, they can inspire or depress someone. Your words can do that. You can coach someone up or you can criticize and tear them down. Words can propagate love or hatred. They can produce happiness in a person, a relationship, a family, or profound sadness. They can liberate someone and set them free from something they're worried about, or it can enslave them and bind them up. Your words have the power to be the lifting wind beneath someone's wings or the headwinds that hits them in the face so they can't make progress. Now, let me remind you of something very, very important. Jesus says, out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. 
What Jesus is saying is the problem isn't just to try to white knuckle it and like grit your teeth and try not to say so many bad, negative, nasty things. What comes out of our heart, what comes out of our mouth is really just a revealer of what's already in our hearts. Our tongue kind of always tells the truth in a way. It gives away or reveals the condition of our heart, Jesus says. So the point isn't to try to, like I play sports, I play pickleball and we get competitive and then people find out I'm a pastor and they miss a shot and they blippity blip this and blippity blip and and then they, what do they say? They turn to me and they go, oh, I'm sorry. Because somewhere along the way, we got the idea that Christians were supposed to not cuss and swear. And I actually think that's a good thing if Christians kind of are different in that way. But friends, we've kind of somewhere along the way started to think that that's the whole point, that if we can just kind of control our outbursts, we're going to be okay. But friend, what Jesus is reminding us is that when the negative words fly in angry outbursts, what it's telling you is that there's something on the inside that you need to let Jesus address. If you're self-pitying and that wine comes out of that mouth of yours, it's something inside of you. If caustic words fly out, there's something inside of you. So these are the things that come to mind when Jesus says, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. The Bible says, you know, when, when we say, oh, I don't, I don't know where that came from. Well, the Bible says, well, I can tell you exactly where it came from. It came from inside of you. So the point is to try to just stop cussing or saying negative things. The point is to say, God, I don't want to be that person. I want you to be able to change me from the inside. hurt people. When someone's mean to another person, it's often because they themselves have something going on that God needs to do. Angry words and foul speech and mean talk, they're just a very thin veil for what's really going on inside. Because the main issue is not just the words that fly out of our mouths, it's what's going on at the heart level. And Jesus is saying, aren't you tired of trying to control these words from slipping out? Aren't you ready to have me just purify you at a depth level? So I ran across a list. It was put together by Alan Hunt. And I thought it was really helpful to me. I thought maybe it'd be helpful for you to kind of examine how we use this amazing gift that God has given us of speech. God is a God of speech. He creates with the word. Jesus is the word of God. And he gives us the power and the ability to use words. So I'm going to give you a couple of questions and in just a couple of seconds with each one to kind of be as truthful as you can be as you kind of do like a self-examination. Have you ever heard yourself on a recording and thought, I don't sound like that, do I? And everybody else goes, yeah, you really do. Because we don't always really fully hear ourselves the way others do. And in the same way, imagine me asking other people around you, what do they sound like? If we were asking your spouse and your kids and your your parents or your closest friends, those you work with and roommates and so, if we asked them, how would they respond to these questions? Better yet, invite the Lord to have a look at your life and say, search me, oh God. Um, let every word be pleasing to you. So here's, here's a question. I'm gonna give you a few seconds. If you have something to write with or maybe in your phone, now's a good time to get it out and kind of think about this. Here's question number one. We'll give you a few seconds after each one to prayerfully consider. Number one, what percentage of your speech would be classified as positive, encouraging, and uplifting versus negative and critical or harsh. What percentage do you think? Take a few seconds.
Here's another one. Would those you spend a lot of time with say that your words tend to encourage them or discourage them? When was the last time your words hurt someone? Who was it? How did they feel? How did you feel? Reflect on that. Do you use profanity and obscenities and crude speech? If so, like how regularly, how often? And and in what situations? And why? And how does it make you feel? A couple more. How often do you tend to use negative or sarcastic humor to get a laugh even at someone else's expense whether they're present or not present And finally if the words you've spoken in the last month were like the only evidence allowed in a court of law would a jury looking at all those words would they conclude that you were mostly a grateful person or an ungrateful person let me just lead us through three more things that all of us need to get really good at saying. We've talked about the power of destructive words. Let me just encourage us to say the most important things. I'm going to leave you with this and there'll be some homework at the end of this for every single one of us. Cuz communication's at the heart of every relationship, but we're not usually as good at it as we think. Like the husband who told his wife, you know, um you know, she says, "You never you never tell me you love me." And he says, "I told you I loved you when we got married. If anything changes, I'll let you know." And we laugh at that. It gets so bizarre and ridiculous. But yet I wonder, I, I wonder how much we're kind of like that. You know, in that special time with my dad in his final days as we were together, my brother, sister, mom, it was just this intimate, beautiful setting where we were reading scripture and singing songs and close and God was close and love was real and what was what really mattered in life was obvious and our hearts were tender and open and you know what happened in that setting a kind of rarefied beautiful setting we were super free with our hugs and our words of encouragement and affirmation and love if before there was some hesitance to say things like hey i love you it was gone in those days and those moments what was it about that that just changed the way we thought in that tender space Maybe you've seen the the film that stars Jack Nicholson and uh he's walking by a colleague and he says hello and the guy immediately begins to complain about some petty thing and Jack stops and turns to him and says we're all dying act accordingly blunt and to the point but true we're all dying speak accordingly so what do you need to say before it's too late 
Spoken words are so powerful. Unspoken words are sometimes even more powerful. So say what needs to be said before it's too late. What do you need to say and who do you need to say it to? First and foremost, remember the three simple words. Number one, I love you. This is what the Father said at Jesus' baptism at the beginning of his ministry. This is my beloved son. I love him. And that voice filled Jesus and anchored him through all of his days and difficult moments and even through death itself. And if we want people to know that God loves them, the thing that you can do best to position them is to let them know that you love them too. If you find yourself in a situation like I did with emotions raw and hesitation stripped away with the realities of death, you'll be very free with these words. You'll realize we don't need to be stingy. Love is not a finite commodity. You're not going to run out of love. The more you give, the deeper the dish becomes. Our heart reservoir grows as we give it away. Nobody ever went to their grave and said, I wish I hadn't given away so much love. We do have regrets from withholding it. So, who do you need to say, I love you? Life is short. We're all dying. Speak accordingly. Say, I love you. Who needs to hear that from you? Now, Matthew Kelly suggests that as important as that phrase is, there's actually a couple other phrases that we obsess over even more than that one. Two other big questions that you can help answer with your words, okay? Well, what do we obsess over? Two other matters of the heart. The first is about forgiveness and unforgiveness. People who are left behind wonder if someone they loved forgave them for something that they said or did long ago. Something happened, tension, conflict, hurt, whatever. And as time passed, they, they don't really know. Did they forgive me? And others are left hurting because they were hurt by someone who never really clearly apologized. They never knew if they acknowledged that they hurt you or if they cared enough. And these two things are things that we need to figure out and make life work by saying, I'm sorry, and I forgive you. If you're a young person, learn to say these words now. If you're an old person, even more important that you say it now. The cost of unforgiveness is multi-generational. Get it out of your heart and your life and your family line now. Forgive often, forgive freely and fully as, as the scripture says, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Don't be a jerk and say, well, I'm just gonna hold this grudge. That's just foolish, the Bible says, stupid, because it turns rat poison loose in your family drinking water. If you're holding a grudge, in light of all of God's mercy toward you, let it go and say the words. And one of the reasons it's so important is that people won't really believe that you loved them if they're not sure if you have forgiven them. Let me say it again. It's super hard to accept love from someone if you're not sure they're still angry or holding something against you. So God proved his love, how? By Jesus forgiving us through his death on the cross. And it cost him something. And if you forgive someone, it will cost you something too. But say the words, I forgive you. And then, I'm sorry. Powerful words, liberating words. Name it, own it, humble yourself. It opens the heart. You may never receive forgiveness, but you did the right thing and you brought healing with your words. And the last thing, that our hearts get stuck on. After I love you, I'm sorry, forgive me, and I forgive you, is we wonder if someone's really proud of us. 
especially important for parents and kids, grandparents, uncles, aunts, coaches, authority figures, teachers, any adult in a young person's life. You know, I'll tell you, as someone whose parent just died, this is the thing that kids want to know. This is the thing I just wanted to know for sure, and I did know, not everybody does. Were my parents proud of me? When they died, were they proud of the person I'd become and the way I was living my life? I found that very few people can answer that question with confidence. Listen, listen to me. Give your children this gift. Give your grandchildren this great gift, this apples of gold. Give any young person, old person, anyone around you this gift. Like the father spoke over Jesus at his baptism, in whom I am well pleased, I'm proud of him. When the prodigal son left home, he squandered his father's inheritance, wasted money on all that stuff. When he came home, the father ran to greet him, hugged him, welcomed him, loved him through a party and said, he's home, I love him, let's party. He wasn't happy with everything he had done and squandered, but he was still his son and he was proud of him. And that's what God is like, Jesus says, for each one of us. He can't stop loving and being proud of you. He's got you engraved on the palm of his hands. You're on God's screensaver, not because he adores everything you do, but because he created you and said, this is good, because you're his child and he's proud of you. And someone probably needs to hear that from you. You won't approve of everything they do. But if you can say you're proud of them at a deep level and approve of them for God's sake, for their sake, for your sake, tell them five words, I am proud of you. Let there be no uncertainty. What a great gift you can give someone. You have the power with your words to give that certainty to someone. Let them answer the question with great confidence. So there are the phrases. Who are the people that you really want to know with absolute certainty that you love them when you're gone? Make a plan for how you're going to speak words of life into them to encourage them. Who do you need to say, I'm sorry to, I forgive you, I'm proud of you, I love you, I'm sorry? Who is it? If you had to just say one thing to one person, what would that be? How good is a timely word? Now's the time. Life is short. We're all dying. Speak accordingly. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my heart and the meditation of my mouth be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.